am Dr. Thomas Slavin, Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs for Myriad Oncology. Welcome to Inside the Genome. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Leah Center. She's a licensed genetic counselor. Um, she is an associate professor of internal medicine, uh, as well as the associate director in the Division of Human Genetics and the associate director of the Ohio State University Genetic Counseling Graduate Program. Uh, so she works at the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center and has many titles. Uh, we are very happy and privileged to have her on the podcast today. So welcome, Leah. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You uh, have an uh, uh, interesting background. You know, uh, I first met you a few months ago. Um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, really interested in your integration into the somatic world through uh, genetic counseling, which we tend to think of usually more in a hereditary type cancer context, since this is a, a cancer uh, discussion. So I was w- wondering, you know, if you could just discuss your, you know, path, you know, how did you kind of start out? And then, you know, how did you get to where you are now? And if you could just explain to people a little bit about what your clinical life is and your, your research mix. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Um, so I've been a genetic counselor since 2003. Uh, so quite a long time, but practicing in cancer mm-hmm. the whole time. And I think for the first even half of my career so far, we practiced in a very traditional genetic counseling model where, you know, the genetic counselors had an outpatient clinic where patients had to come see us in a different location on a different day and so forth. We realized over time as more cancer patients needed genetic testing, and we're still talking about germline here, that we weren't doing a really good job of meeting their needs by making this so difficult on them. So we started to integrate into the other cancer specialties, just really to make it easier and have more patient-centered care. Um, So in 2014, I embedded into the gynecologic oncology clinic, um, where I support eight gynecologic oncology attendings. Mm -hmm. And Still at that time, our primary focus was making sure that all the women with ovarian cancer had access to BRCA testing. But it was shortly thereafter that PARP inhibitors became so sort of at the forefront of all discussions um, with these patients. And then the label indications started to grow and grow and um, somatic testing then was put in our laps to say, okay, all of these patients probably need somatic testing. So it just sort of evolved naturally that because I was already there and talking about genetics with hopefully all of the patients who were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, it just made sense um, Mm -hmm. to add tumor testing as part of the discussion. And I have to say, though, I hadn't really counseled about that before, it was not very hard to do because when you're talking about germline genetics, it's not that hard to also explain what the tumor genetics are too. And so it just kind of, you know, naturally grew uh, to include both kinds of testing. Yeah. And what is, what is your role now overall? I mean, you're, you're um, seeing clinical patients, uh, I assume a few times a week, are you the decision maker for, you know, what tests are being ordered in these situations? Are you, uh, you know, working, you know, how closely are you working with your uh, gynecologists, oncologist colleagues? 
Yeah, we work really close. Um, I'm in clinic two days a week. We actually just hired another genetic counselor about a year ago to also support gynecologic oncology. But we sort of put our heads together, you know, a year or two ago and said, let's try to streamline this as much as possible. So about decision-making, I would say it's really a combined decision, but I take the oncologist lead. And so we kind of have a, if then what kind of decision tree. Um, So it takes the guesswork out of it for me. And, you know, if there's any deviation from that, I sort of go back to them and say, are you sure we want to do it this way? Or, you know, which test is going to help you the most in the therapeutic decisions. And then I can just help facilitate that. And, you know, there are some situations where I'm seeing patients maybe while they're getting their neoadjuvant treatment or the treatment before they ever have a surgery. In that situation, maybe I'm just doing the germline testing And then the nurse practitioners or other members of the staff order the tumor testing later after the patients had their surgery. Mm -hmm. So we're in constant communication really, which has been great because I think we're all playing a really important part in the team. You know, on the back end, so after all the testing has been completed, I mean, are you sitting down and kind of going through both results at the same time in many of the cases? Yeah, usually if I've facilitated both kinds of tests, when I call the patient with their results, I'll sort of review both of them. And then I document both of them in one progress note also. Yeah. Yeah, So it's kind of all in one place. Now I defer a lot of the, you know, obviously a lot of the detailed discussion to the um, gynecologic oncologist with regard to the somatic result and what role that might play in therapeutic decisions but I answer any sort of genetics related questions at that time. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you think, I mean, in, in your experience, I mean, are the patients really understanding, you know, if, if something was found in the tumor and it wasn't in their mom and dad germline genetics, I mean, are they understanding that? What kind of complexities are you seeing in, in clinic? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I, ha- I don't have data to suggest it, but um, I think so. And I guess what I, what I use as evidence to that is, In the situations where we haven't had a discussion about both kinds of testing, um, either before or after we have results, I do notice a little more confusion when they're separated by time because a person will think, oh, I had genetic testing. My family members don't need to be tested. And then maybe they do have a somatic mutation and then they're concerned again that mm-hmm. it might impact family members. But when I'm able to dispel that worry uh, right off the bat, people are like, oh, okay, just my cancer yeah, has nice. this mutation. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of discordant results, um, you know, where like a germline test comes back with a mutation and a tumor test doesn't or vice versa? Once in a while, um, but not, not routinely. Um, yeah. And I would say, it's usually not an exact discordance. It might be a difference in the technology used that, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's a justifiable reason for why something was wasn't found or called yeah. differently or something like right. that. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of uh, research as well. I mean, what uh, are you working on these days? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, in my role, I've also sort of evolved from sort of supporting other PIs who are doing more molecular gene hunting kind of studies to a focus on some of my 
own research projects. And I would say that the two that are taking up most of my brain space these days are related to how we communicate about genetics, but in two very different ways. So one, a few of my projects are how families communicate about cascade genetic testing. So Mm -hmm. once a mutation is identified, how they talk to their family members about it. And then a new project that we recently just got funding for actually is about somatic testing, sort of consistent messaging, trying to sort of meet the standards that a lot of the experts have published that say, these are the things that you should be talking about before you do somatic testing Mm. in a busy oncology office that doesn't necessarily always happen. And so a collaborator of mine and I are working together to design a video message that we can sort of test to see if it works in that way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great to see, you know, that you're clinical work is really leading to this, uh, you know, the forefront of research on yeah. this topic and how to integrate it. As a whole, I think, you know, you you definitely in my mind are, are, you know, out there doing a lot of the somatic work, but, you know, I would say the genetic counseling profession as a whole is largely still doing uh, hereditary, uh, you know, thinking specifically about cancer genetics. I mean, what do you think the role for a genetic counselor is in the tumor world? Or, you know, do you think there's things missing from the training or things that you wish you would have had? Or, you know, you, you also work a lot with the education program there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a kind of a loaded question. But yeah. I think, you know, for genetic counselors who are working in spaces where somatic testing is now becoming part of the care it's, it's an easy transition. And I know some of my colleagues might be a little apprehensive and that's sort of not what they're there to discuss. And sometimes our oncology colleagues are a little apprehensive, like, no, you don't discuss that. But I think even for the patients where I'm not facilitating the ordering of their testing, I still mention it. Like your doctor's probably going to want to order tumor genetic testing too. Here's how that's different. And when you get that result, here's how it's different. So as far as giving the patient the best information so that they can adjust to it. I think it, they should. I think genetic counselors definitely play a role there. I do think it's a little different to make that leap if it's a situation where somatic testing is the gold standard and there's very low likelihood of finding something that's meaningful in the germline. If you do, it's you know really incidental, um, like mm-hmm. the lung cancer space, for instance. I think genetic counselors can still play a role in that team in the sense that some people will need genetic counseling or follow-up germline testing, and we should all play together nicely in the sandbox and make each other um, sort of, you know, everybody plays an important role there. But that's, that's a bigger leap, I think. But as far as training the next generation of genetic counselors, the more that the clinically practicing genetic counselors now have those discussions. I mean, that's where we're training. It's in the mm-hmm. clinic. Yeah. And so I think it, it is rare for students to have more than a lecture or a mm-hmm. seminar. Right. <laughs> um, and that makes sense because there's so much that they do have to learn um, in that short amount of time. But I know for certain that any student who's on rotation with me is going to at least understand how to counsel about it in tandem with germline uh, discussions. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 the worlds are just colliding. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to just be an expert in one and know nothing about, you know, the tumor, for instance, because, you know, even things that, you know, I think of like clonal hematopoiesis, which is a big yeah. word, but, you know, like when there's uh, aberrant uh, clones in someone's blood that, uh, you know, are floating around that, you know, are uh, being created from bone marrow or could be from leukemia or could be circulating tumor. I mean, there's a a lot of confusing uh, things to figure out, okay, is this really, you know, an, an abnormal, you know, blood clone, or is it something else? That's really, in my mind, that total intersection of, you know, you really have to have a decent handle on, you know, what is in the mom and dad germline genetics, what could potentially be in tumor, you know, what could be in like a hematologic cancer, uh, and what does this all mean? And then you can even see those clones, sometimes now in tumor tissue that also yeah. becomes very confusing. So, so yeah, I think, I think the worlds are, you know, just on a collision course and uh, yeah, it's great to have people like you that are really leading the charge and, you know, thinking about the research and how to counsel patients and these kind of models. Yeah. And to me, it's been really rewarding just personally too. Um, you know, it was nice to kind of add something new and shake it up a little bit, but I also think it underscores, you know, the value of what we can bring as genetic counselors to the discussion, because you know, it really didn't change how I see patients um, and it doesn't extend the time of my appointments or anything like that. Whereas probably having a really super detailed discussion in the oncology office where they've already got 20 other things that they have to cover might've changed, um, you know, how it happens there. So it's just worked really nicely. Yeah. Are you counseling people that do not have germline testing ever, or is germline like always part of it when they see you? No, occasionally I'll see someone who's already had germline testing. Often in that situation, I'm still doing some behind the scenes assessment to make sure that the testing they already had was comprehensive enough, mm -hmm. for example. And then sometimes, you know, the oncologist, you know, they didn't need germline testing. And so they didn't refer them to genetics, but they had so many questions after the fact about their tumor result that mm -hmm. they just asked if they could speak more to somebody about it. And so mm -hmm. I can sometimes help in that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of the patients you're seeing, I mean, are, are almost all of them ovarian cancer? Um, for the somatic that? testing, usually, I mean, I yeah. see a fair number of endometrial cancer patients too. Um, this sort of testing algorithm and uh, process is quite different for them though. And they usually start off you know, with at least mismatch repair screening of their tumor. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're starting at a different kind of entry point with yeah. them. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. So how do you work with clinicians overall that maybe uh, you're not as intimate with, you know, in clinic on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think somatic testing has really opened the door for more communication about that. And we often get questions about, or just even have a process to routinely help them screen their somatic test results for the purpose of determining whether or not some germline testing should be done in follow-up. So mm -hmm. these are patients that we wouldn't have seen otherwise and that we didn't help with the somatic testing, but if they have, for instance, a, a somatic BRCA mutation, then they should have germline testing. And so we'll kind of flag that for some providers who've requested our consult on that, or, you know, even behind the scenes, if they're sort of new to the somatic testing space and 
wondering how to vet some offerings over others, we can sort of help from a technology standpoint too. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, everybody always says there aren't enough genetic counselors, we can't be everywhere. And, but we can at a very high level, sort of help behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, kind of helping to, the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the whole deal is making sure patients have access. And so I consider that an integral part of all of that. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a genetic counselor that, you know, maybe moves somewhere where there's already a full swing in process for, you know, tumor testing and they're coming into this program, they're, you know, probably the large expectation at that point is, you know, on the hereditary side. I mean, you know, pearls of wisdom that you would, you know, embark on how to integrate uh, with a team like that? Yeah, I think um, that for the most part, just being really collegial and, you know, making yourself available to those teams who are doing somatic testing, they may, in truth, you know, not need any help per se, but they may find it very valuable um, Mm -hmm. to have somebody there for, you know, results that are not so straightforward or results that really do have germline implications, but maybe are completely out of left field and sort of how to help the patient navigate that. And I think once you take baby steps into sort of building those relationships, everybody will understand that sometimes it can work really nicely um, and make it easier on everybody, including the patient. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I think, you know, your experience in this field is, uh, you know, highly valuable and uh, hopefully our audience learned, you know, some, some tidbits that maybe they can take back to their own <laughs> practice, yeah. you know, for, for those that are out there practicing. And, and, you know, if you're a patient, you know, know that, yeah, this is uh, or, or a, a individual that, you know, just wants to learn about genetics. I mean, know that, yeah, there's a, there's a kind of these two worlds. There's the mom and dad genetic world and there's the tumor genetic world and they're absolutely colliding, uh, you know, hopefully you learned from, from our podcast today. So thank you, Leah. And, uh, you know, I know you're busy, so I'll let you get back to your, (laughs) your crazy week. All right. Sounds good. It was fun. Thanks.